The following message was given by Shelby Murphy on Sunday, August 12th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Shelby. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, however, I'm primarily over at the 400. Um, so, so yes, uh, some of you have, have not seen me before. Uh, and if you're doing the math in your head, you're going, Shelby, Shelby, why did I recognize that name? I'm the one that sends you a thousand emails a week telling you what to do and where to go. Uh, some of you have likened me to uh, Tom from MySpace, wondering if I'm actually real or not. Uh, others have likened me to the great and powerful Oz, just pulling the strings behind the curtain. Uh, both are true, actually. Um, but no, it's good to, be, good to be with you here today. Um, we are in the middle of our mixtape summer sermon series. Say that 10 times real fast. Summer sermon series. Um, and I, I hope it's a little bit different for us, so I hope it's been profitable for you uh, as it has um, uh, allowed a number of the pastors around here to be able to share some, some um, uh, about themselves uh, as well as share on scriptures that have had a profound impact uh, on them. I'm sorry to say that my mixtape experience um, isn't too different from what you have already heard from Tim Raymond and um, uh, Robert. Um, my younger sister and I used to make mixtapes um, all the time. It was the mid-80s, and my parents had just bought a brand new boombox. So that should date me right there, just the fact that I use that term boombox. Dual cassette, bass boost, the works. Um, <laughs> It even had a place to plug in a, um, a microphone, which my sister and I took full advantage of. Um, uh, in addition to recording much of what was on the radio and, and Top 40, uh, we would then go back and add our own DJ material um, uh, between songs. So um, uh, apparently one of these cassettes still exists, but you won't get to hear it today. Sorry. Um, but the mix, best mixtape I ever uh, had wasn't one that, that I made. It was one that I actually received prior to all that. I was in um, uh, elementary, and we had an older high school girl who lived next door who would um, occasionally babysit uh, for us. She'd always have something new and cool playing on her Walkman. Uh, so one day, she let us listen, and my sister and I were ruined. Uh, so she made us a mixtape of everything that she was listening to um, at the time. So a little bit about myself, you have to understand that, that till that time, my musical knowledge was limited to my dad's extensive Phil Driscoll collection uh, and a pantheon of other bad CCM of the um, day. So in hindsight, this mixtape was crucial to my musical education. Um, it, was, it was a doorway into the musical taste of a um, high schooler which was the epitome of cool. Uh, and like any good mixtape, it um, uh, opened with a killer, Brian Adams' Summer of 69, which had just come out. Um, and then it kicked it up a notch, like any good mixtape would, with a few select tracks from um, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean, you know, standard fare. And then it sort of cooled off into a, a rhythm with songs from uh, Weird Al Yankovic's first three albums. <laughs> his, uh, his self-titled album, the 3D album, and the Dare to be Stupid album. Classic cuts, like um, uh, Eat It, um, uh, I Lost on Jeopardy, The Ryder, The Kaiser, uh, Girls Just Wanna Have Lunch, um, uh, I Want a New Duck. And this was, you know, this was all before we had our boombox, and I would take this cassette and I would go sit in my mom's late 70s green, lime green Chevy Nova and with leather bench seating, I remember. I would sit in this car in the garage and I would listen to this audio goodness. Now, um, uh, about this time uh, in, in my life, I received uh, a, a gift. And I can't remember whether it was in a Christmas stocking or tucked inside a birthday card somewhere. But I received uh, a gift that has lived inside my wallet um, uh, ever since. Some of you will recognize it as one of those little Chotskys that you see at any good Christian bookstore. Um, it's a simple card with my name on it, uh, one of the meanings of my name, uh, Sheltered Town, uh, and then what seems just like a random, random Bible verse. Now, uh, I, I don't know how much, how much research 
or consideration or even prayer uh, went into, into creating this cheesy Christianese artifact. Um, but it had a profound impact on nine-year-old me. This is what my name meant. So in some ways, it provided uh, direction and, and purpose. This was my Bible verse. So I committed it to um, a memory. Now, in hindsight, looking back, I know that in some ways, this is the equivalent of a, um, a Christian horoscope here. Um, but uh, but um, uh, in all my years of one, being alive, and two, simply being a self-aware Christian, I'm hard-pressed to, to think of a more apropos description of my life thus far, sheltered town, and perhaps that's for a different sermon. Uh, I'm also hard-pressed to think of a verse that I need to remind myself of regularly, uh, a verse that calls me to worship, a, a verse that calls me to repent of self-worship, uh, that reminds me of God's will in my life. Uh, a verse that has provided a foundation in making some really tough decisions throughout my life. Uh, so, so today, we're going to look at this uh, coffee cup verse that probably lives on some item in your house as, as um, a well. Uh, we'll look at what it actually is calling us to do, uh, as well as how it has helped me um, uh, over the years. Um, uh, specifically, uh, it calls me to worship and it calls me to wisdom. So let's, let's read this verse together um, out loud. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Father, help us to hear your word to us today. Holy Spirit, help us to um, uh, believe it. We need your help today. Amen. These are, these are probably the most famous verses in Proverbs, uh, and, and their meaning is really quite simple. I don't have to explain this text a lot because it says what it means, and it means w what it says here. Um, so its meaning is quite simple, but the application is, in a way, uh, impossible. <laughs> um, for, for starters, th these verses are, are calling us to worship. Trust in the Lord with what? Now, in the, in the Bible, the heart is not just about um, uh, emotions. It's about our wills. It's about our minds. It's the decision-making center of our um, lives. You know, our heart represents our whole life. And while this passage is a father's wisdom being passed down to his son, it is also the wisdom of our heavenly father being given to us, his spiritual sons and um, daughters. This verse calls us. This verse commands us to let everything in our lives demonstrate a trust in the Lord. It, it even goes as far to tell us what kind of trust our God both deserves and demands. Wholehearted trust. This, this verb translated trust here um, literally means to throw oneself down on, one, on one's face, to lie down spread eagle in complete in complete um, a reliance. Um, Ray Ortland says it this way in his commentary on, on Proverbs, to make it as graphic as possible, to do a belly flop on God with all your sin and all your failure and all your fears. We stake everything on the gospel promises of God. If God fails us, we are damned. If God comes through, we are saved forever. Real trust is that blunt and daring and simple. We're called to trust the Lord wholeheartedly. We are commanded to trust the Lord wholeheartedly. Do our lives reflect this kind of trust? Do we confidently approach God with our lives wholeheartedly like this? Or are we cautiously creeping through life on um, all fours, half-heartedly trusting in God, um, uh, relying more on our limited understanding of reality. Because the command and the call here is simple. Trust in Him with all your heart. Hand everything over to Him. He can handle it. You can put the full weight of your life in, in His hands. As you belly flop into the pool of life, Jesus is there to catch you. 
You know, and um, I had this verse um, on me long before it was ever um, uh, in me or real to me. You know, I knew what it was calling me to, but till that point, I was really more concerned with what my friends thought of me. But my first real encounter with this verse came on July 28, 1988, because this was when God first called me to worship Him, first called me to trust in, in Him. I, I was at a youth camp in Glorieta, New Mexico, up in the mountains of New Mexico. Um, after one of the the late services that evening, I remember going to the snack bar to get something to eat and then meeting up with a friend and one of the youth pastors. Um, we chatted some uh, about the service, and then the topic shifted to me. Uh, in the most gracious way that I can think of, this, this lowly youth pastor um, confronted me with the fact that I was a sinner. Me the good kid, the good kid raised in a good moral um, a religious home, a sinner, just like everyone else, a sinner without Jesus. And she would go on to say that my sin separated me from God. In fact, my sin incurred God's wrath. And she told me that there was no way that I could ever um, appease his wrath and make myself good before God. I couldn't put my trust in my upbringing. I couldn't put my trust in my parents. I couldn't even put my trust in the private Christian school I was attending at the time. And she called me to repent right there of my 12-year-old self-righteousness and to ask God to give me the righteousness of his sinless son, Jesus. And I did. And right there, we prayed through, through Psalm 51, um, uh, acknowledging my sins before God, um, uh, acknowledging my guilt before God, and asking God to give me a clean heart and a right spirit, asking God to save me by the shed blood of his son, Jesus, to give me his innocence, to give me his righteousness, and praise God that his word accomplished its task in me. It, it had come to me through an uh, innocuous gift you know, years earlier, calling me to trust in the Lord with all my heart, which it was calling me to Jesus who was able to give me that clean heart, a heart that can trust him. And through the obedience of another follower of Jesus, I was encouraged to put my trust in the finished work of him, of Jesus, to repent of my sin and wholeheartedly trust in God. And this call to worship, this call to trust in the Lord with all our heart, it continues to go out today. It goes out to everyone sitting in this room. It goes out to everyone spinning on this mud ball that we're on. It goes out all the time. And those eight words still call me to worship as they should you. Have you wholeheartedly put your trust in, in God? Do you really trust God in the biggest matter of your life, namely salvation from your guilt, salvation from, from his wrath? And it was in that moment that this verse really came um, alive to me. It, it was in that moment that the choice before me was um, uh, evident. You see, in, in these verses, we are presented with, with two different paths to follow, two different paths to trust in, the path of wisdom and the path of folly. We are entreated here to choose the path of um, wisdom. Paul will make these two paths even more um, explicit over in 1 Corinthians 2, the secret wisdom of God now revealed in Jesus Christ or the folly offered by the world. And once again, we are entreated to choose the wisdom of Christ. Was I going to trust in the Lord and his word or continue to lean on my own understanding of things? Will you trust the Lord and his word or will you lean on your own understanding of things? One of my favorite movies growing up was um, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Um, I can't really recommend it now. We've gone through this phase of going through and showing our kids some movies that we hold romantic feelings about back in the day. 
And as we have watched these movies, we realize, one, they're terrible movies. And it's actually ruined my, my, all my thinking about these movies. And two, we realize that 80s PG is not the same as 2018 PG. <laughs> so uh, let me just put that out there. Um, uh, in this movie, um, th there's a scene toward the end when one of our uh, protagonists is trying to make his way out to his friend, who he believes is about to be murdered. Uh, he's flying in this little plane with this huge storm raging um, uh, all around him. Uh, he's naturally a little afraid and having little confidence in the pilot. He asks him, how do you even know if you're going in the right direction? The pilot, who happens to be comedian Stephen Wright, uh, taps the dashboard and says, instruments, instruments. Still not convinced. Um, the passenger says, oh, yeah, yeah, well, then what's that? And he points to a specific instrument on, on the dash. And he goes, that's the artificial horizon, which is better than the actual horizon. So in the middle of this storm, this pilot had to trust his instruments. He couldn't trust his eyes. He couldn't trust his senses or his feelings about the conditions outside that plane. He had to submit his thinking and reasoning to the instruments in front of him and then make a decision about what to believe and what to do. We can either lean on our own understanding or we can lean on God's understanding. And let me tell you what this is not. This is not encouraging us to stop thinking. The Bible puts up no wall of separation between our intellect and our faith. We're told not to lean on our own understanding, meaning conclusions based primarily on our uh, own perceptions, because our own understanding simply cannot bear the full weight of reality. It was never intended to. It would be insane to trust our pitifully limited understanding of reality when one can trust the unlimited understanding of God. And I, I wish I could say that I instantly knew all this whenever I got saved, but um, uh, unfortunately, I continue to be weaned off my, my own self-reliance, my own ideas of how the world ought to work. I've learned over the years that um, when I get anxious, when I get fearful, when I doubt God and His Word, when I'm angry with others, angry with God, these are usually the result of me leaning on my own understanding. And God's desire here in this passage is for us not to be miserable, to not be any of those things I just listed. He wants to relieve our anxiety. He wants to relieve our fear our doubt, and our sinful um, anger. Once again, we're not called to set aside our brains here. We're called to rest our intellect on the superior wisdom of God. So how do we know if we're leaning on our own um, uh, understanding? Well, here's, here's one way to know. Do we let the Bible, do we let God's Word override our own thinking. Ray Ortland, our uh, gospel Yoda um, uh, around here, um, uh, asked the question this way, do we merely agree with the Bible or do we obey it? Because if we merely agree with the Bible as Ortland asked, then our response is not one of um, uh, obedience, but just simply one of uh, coincidence. It's just that the beliefs and prejudices we have soaked up from culture happen to line up with the Bible at this one point. But what do we do when the Bible contradicts what we want to be true? The truth is if we are looking in the Bible for excuses to do what we want anyway, we've already rejected God. When was the last time we prayed, Lord, correct me? When was the last time we let God's Word challenge our most cherished thoughts and feelings? Trust in the Lord wholeheartedly. Don't lean on our own understanding and perception of, of things. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Now this word um, uh, acknowledge here can mean anything from simply being uh, acquainted with somebody 
to the most intimate of marital relations. It's the same word in the phrase Adam knew Eve back in uh, Genesis 4. So, in every way and in everything we do, we are to know God. We're to trust Him. We're to trust in Him not only wholeheartedly, but exhaustively, leaving nothing out in all your ways. God isn't, isn't asking us to trust Him with part of our life. He wants it all. Acknowledge Him. Know Him. And this is not simply an intellectual um, awareness of God's existence, but an acceptance of God's presence to guide and direct our lives, to be intimately acquainted with Him, His, his character, and to be willing to submit to, to His will in our life. Of course, how do we become intimately acquainted with Him and His character? Through this instrument right here. He calls us to trust in him, to know him, and then he gives us his word to be able to grow in our trust and knowledge of him. Because let's be honest, we only trust someone after we get to know them. We know their character, their tendencies, when we actually spend time with them. We believe their words because we have seen them back up their words time and time again. Our culture tells us to submit everything to our own understanding, to question everything, including this Bible. But everyone must choose something to not question. Let me just say that again. Everyone must choose something to not question. And most people, including us in this room, don't question their right and ability to question everything. So everyone is living by faith in some ultimate, some ultimate um, authority. And this passage calls us to make that authority God's Word. Not our reason, not our intuition. Our God can be trusted. His word is always true. He always has our best interests in mind. And this isn't the only place in Scripture where, where we see this call. As Tim pointed out uh, you know, a few weeks ago, Paul trusted the Lord completely whenever he said, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Knowing leads to trusting. The Bible continues in Romans to say, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So do you know God? Do you trust him? Do you know Jesus? And if so, let me just make this a little bit more pointed. When was the last time you took a risk to obey him? Maybe it's the, the risk of um, uh, embarrassment, of publicly demonstrating your faith, being baptized, talking about Jesus with a friend, even praying for somebody. When was the last time you diminished your future, either socially, financially, professionally, for his sake? Um, uh, again, Ray Ortland asked the question this way. When was the last time your life looked obviously different from the life of someone who does not trust Jesus at all? If, if we never surprise an unbelieving friend by our sacrifice for Christ, it's probably because what we're living for is the same earthly pay, payoff he or she is living for. We're called to trust him wholeheartedly, exhaustively across our whole life, because God is worthy of our full devotion. We are literally called to know him in all our ways. And if we do so, then we are given one of the greatest promises of God in our entire Bible. He promises to direct the course of our life. To take care of us, to lead us, to guide us, to shepherd us. He cares about what is good for us. And this should be an assurance for us today. And now, this doesn't mean that everything in our life will go smoothly. 
It does mean that out of the mess of our lives, with all its twists and turns, God will create something beautiful. He will lead us to His desired goal for us. He will take the crooked lines of our life, and looking back, we will see that He used those crooked lines as the most direct path to get us exactly where we needed to go. Let me just take a moment here. What does God's path look like, though? Flip over to the next chapter in Proverbs, chapter 4. Starting there in verse 20. Here's what being on God's path looks like. I'll read it for us here. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In, in um, uh, other words, the way that God directs our paths is when we trust what he says in his word and don't turn to the right and don't turn to the left from it. We wholeheartedly follow the path that he has set us on, trusting that even though it will involve trials and difficulties that that we can't see, uh, the path will be straight. We have zero promises here that all the bad things in life will go away. We do have the promise that God will be at work in every detail of our lives to accomplish his purposes for us. Till then, God's will and God's purpose for us is plain. In case you're wondering what God's will and purpose is for your life, it's plain to us in these passages right here. Trust in him wholeheartedly. Don't lean on our own limited understanding of reality. And know him in everything that we do. Now, now, this passage wasn't just instrumental in calling me to worship him, calling me to, um, to, to trust him, but it actually continues to call me to wisdom. And where specifically this verse continues to be a help to me is the assurance that it gives me whenever I need to make a tough decision. Carrie, um, my, my, uh, my wife Carrie and I have had to make some big, moving-related decisions over the years, mainly for jobs um, that uh, I have had. The most recent being a little over 10 years ago uh, when I was working for the local symphony here um, in, in town and had really hit a ceiling there in, in my career. So I was, I was actually actively looking for another job. Now, if you're doing the math in your head, about that same time, Redemption Hill had just started. This new church plant filled with people and families we were close with, you know, our friends, people who had um, uh, discipled us, and really helped us understand the salvation we had received years, years um, uh, earlier. So it was a little bittersweet when I received an offer to go work for one of the largest classical music, mu- musical festivals in the world in a little place called Aspen in um, uh, Colorado. And, and I wish I could tell you that I responded to that offer um, uh, immediately you know, out of trust in who God is and faith that, 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 that he would make my path straight. But I didn't. Um, we struggled with that decision. We lost sleep over that decision. Should we stay or should we go? Um, hopefully some of you can relate. I was, I was paralyzed with, with, with this decision. I had this weird assumption that in this gray area of life, with multiple options before me, an area of life that the Bible doesn't address specifically, I had this weird assumption that there was a godliest option. Now, none of the choices in front of me were sin, but I struggled with the idea that one of these choices will make God more happy with me than the other. I worried that I might miss God's will for my life if I chose the wrong one. Please, somebody tell me I'm not the only one who has struggled with this or even felt this way. 
I naturally sought counsel from friends who um, uh, reminded me that I didn't have a bad option in front of me and that neither option moves me outside the um, a will of God. So I was free to make this decision with full, full um, assurance that God was still in control. Now, 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 don't get me wrong. Whether I stayed at the time or we moved, both were going to be tough. But, but their counsel brought Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 back to my mind, back in, um, uh, into my life. And this verse sort of continued its work on me. Was I trusting fully in who God had told me he is through his word? Was I asking for wisdom, asking others for wisdom? Was all this anxiety and fear and doubt birthed out of trying to lean on my own understanding of things? And yes, it was comforting to be reminded that as a believer, I wasn't going to miss God's sovereign will for my life. But it was equally as good to be reminded that yes, in a sense, I could miss God's will. I could miss his decreed will for my life, and the way to miss God's decreed will is simple. Ignore this book. Don't open it. Ignore these verses that I had literally been sitting on for years. God had already told me exactly what he desired that I do um, when it comes to making decisions. So, having counseled a a number of people since through the same kind of struggles, I want to offer you a very, very practical application of this verse today. Dr. Murphy's 100% natural foolproof decision-making solution. Emphasis on fool. <laughs> this, is, this is just a simple process that primarily has helped me in, in making wise decisions, but I want to offer it to you today, uh, especially in those areas of life where, where God has not spoken directly to us through his word. Here are the four easy points of this solution. Trust God's word. Seek out godly counsel. Do what you want. We will come back to that. And um, uh, ask for faith. Um, my, um, my family recently got a free subscription to um, Hulu uh, with commercials. And so this is the first time my boys have ever seen a commercial. And so they are particularly bothered by the drug commercials on there. You know how these, these commercials start. Here's the great thing this drug offers you. And then it gives you a, three minutes of all the fine print of all the horrible things it's going to do to you in the process. So like any good drug commercial, let me give you all the fine print to this process. <laughs> all the warnings. Uh, there's a reason we don't usually preach this way on Sunday. Um, sometimes by outlining a process like this, we can lean more on the man-made process than doing what the Bible is actually calling us to do, which is wholeheartedly pursuing God. So as a way of reminder, this process is not our God. I I, I joke with the title, but this process also doesn't guarantee a wise decision. Think of this more like bumpers on a bowling lane. It doesn't guarantee a strike, but it it can keep you from falling into the gutters. So step one, trust God's word. Trust what it says about him. Why? Because it's breathed out by an infinite, eternal God. Trust that as you stay close to it, he will make your path straight. Does God's word forbid you to do the thing that you're thinking about doing? If the answer is yes, then this process just got really short. This process is actually over. This process is not to help you justify thinking or feeling or acting contrary to God's word. This is not a process to to think through how far is too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend. This isn't a process to think through whether you should forgive someone or not. This isn't a process to consider if you should give generously. Those aren't wisdom issues. If God says it's sin, our response is simple. Trust him. If God says it's sin, our response is to trust him. But if it's not sin... 
I would encourage you with a few things regarding God's word. Uh, when, when faced with any big decision, first, remember God's gospel. Now is not the time to simply assume it. You need to rehearse it. We need to remind ourselves that Jesus secured all the benefits and blessings of God, not us. It was secured by his work, not our work. This is important because the gospel reminds us that the things that are most true about us as believers can actually never be taken away, regardless of the decision we make. The gospel gives us an identity, a hope, and a joy that no unwise decision can, can, can take away. He's made us a child of God, a citizen of heaven, one loved by God. Those can't be taken from us. So this should take the pressure off of us as we make big, big, big um, uh, decisions. Now our decision doesn't determine who we'll be and the joy that we'll have. We should also remind ourselves of God's sovereignty. This goes sort of without saying. Um, over all our decisions is a God who is working, like we read earlier, all things for our good, moving all things according to his plan and purpose. He's in complete control, get this, over both our wise and our unwise decisions. And he promises to work every decision for our ultimate good. Now, this doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. We're obviously still responsible for those actions, but just like the gospel, God's sovereignty takes the pressure off of our shoulders. Our decisions don't dictate what ultimately happens in, in our life. Uh, lastly, as we trust in God's word, um, remember his mission. I rarely hear anyone consider God's mission when making a decision. How does our decision affect our ability to make disciples of Jesus? Every relationship, every job, and every opportunity in our life has to be filtered through the question of how we can make more disciples of Jesus through this, through this um, opportunity. The reason these things are even in our lives, not only that the gospel would go deeper in our hearts as we learn to trust him, but also so that others will come to know Christ through us. So remember the gospel. Remember his sovereignty. Remember his mission. It's not enough to simply assume God's word. We have to trust it. We have to take the time to, to um, uh, believe it. Second step, seek out, and let me add this in there, and listen to godly counsel. One of the greatest gifts um, God has given his people is his people. Far too often we uh, ignore the collective wisdom God has given us in this room. God distributes wisdom to his people in such a way that it typically comes through consulting other Christians. Whatever big decision you have, you need to bring it before others who know and love Jesus. I say Christians not because non-believers uh, can't give good counsel, but you need to hear from somebody who prizes Jesus over everything. Seek out family and friends, those who know how your personality and tendencies affect your decision-making. Seek out people around Redemption Hill who have demonstrated wisdom in the area that you're struggling with. Seek out your pastors. Every pastor here has been placed over this church to serve you. We love getting to be your pastors. It's a privilege that you would entrust your souls to us and listen, and listen to the teachings of um, a God from us. Don't ever think you can't, you can't um, approach us whenever you're, you're struggling with a, um, a big decision. And if you really are seeking wisdom, you need to listen when people disagree with you, when they push back on what you want to do. Now, they can certainly be wrong in, in, in their pushing back, but if someone says something you don't agree with, don't dismiss it outright. Um, take it to someone else. Ask them what they think about it. People who don't get wisdom in this process are those who refuse to take advice that goes contrary to their own, own um, opinion. Step three, the one you've all been waiting for. I, I know that this feels incredibly unspiritual. 
And if you start here, it, it is. If you haven't done the first two steps, it is unspiritual. Un, un but if you go to God's word, if you go to God's people, then the question simply becomes, what do you want to do? Do you want that job? Do you want to move? Do you want to marry that person? If the answer is yes, and it's not contrary to God's word, then do it. If the answer is no, then don't. Be sure and write those down. Um, unless you think this is just Shelby being super um, uh, unspiritual here. Um, uh, over in John 15, John gives us a crazy promise there. He says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abiding in Jesus, trusting in him, acknowledging him, knowing him, having his word abide in us. Again, trusting it, knowing it. As we trust in him, as we trust the truth of his word to us, he promises here to shape our desires, to shape our thoughts through the Holy Spirit so that what we want to do is what he wants us to do. You can make a wise decision without a vision or a sign from God. So many of us, um, like myself, don't want to make a decision until God tells us exactly what to do. We can go to God's word, we can go to God's people and still be completely paralyzed because we're waiting for some mystical moment when God whispers in our ear what to do. We begin to over-analyze over, um, uh, every intuition, every conversation, every gust of wind, um, every upset stomach becomes, is that God or just a bad burrito? We wait and wait, and some of us never make a decision because we think it, it's not godly. And just let me, add, let me just toss this grenade out there real quick. As, as an uh, aside, Gideon is not an example for us to follow if you're considering asking God for a sign. If you go back and read that story, the angel of the Lord, God himself, tells Gideon flat out that he's with him and then commands him to go and give the Midianites a beatdown. Even though he is speaking face to face with God, he still isn't convinced that God is with him. So he starts playing the sign game, the fleece game. Don't be Gideon. Ask God for wisdom, seek the wise counsel of others, and then make a decision. We may have times in our life where, where God makes it abundantly clear which direction we need to go, but the normal way God leads his people is as we ask for and pursue wisdom. We have freedom in Christ to do what we want as we abide in him and bring our decision under the authority of his word and, and his people. Uh, lastly, number four. Ask for faith. We've made our big decision, and now we need to ask for, for faith to trust God because we had no idea what's going to happen next. We don't know the future. Our decisions don't ultimately dictate what comes into our life. God does. What we need is faith to trust in Him wholeheartedly about what He decides to bring into our life. Like I said um, uh, earlier, we did end up moving to Aspen for a few years, or as Raymond calls them, the uh, Dark Ages. Um, and yes, it was the toughest years of our marriage and our, and our family. Uh, in, in many ways, we were, we were forced to put our complete trust in God by moving away from, from close friends. We were, we were forced to lean not on our own understanding when we lost all of our savings trying to sell a house here. We prayed and asked God to help us in that high desert on the front range of the Rocky Mountains, and he did. We grew in our, in our trust of him. The, 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 the sobering truth is that we can make wise decisions and still find ourselves in, in, in dire circumstances. 
we can still wind up suffering. And we don't need to look any further than Jesus himself to actually know this. He is the wisdom of God. He never made one unwise choice, but he still ended up on the cross. Proverbs 21 says this, No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Our job is to get the horse ready for battle and make the best decisions we can, but whatever happens on that field, God is over it. We can make wise decisions, but the reality is God is better than anything we can get out of those decisions. He's calling us again in this passage to, to um, he's calling us to pursue his wisdom. And he's leading us as we pursue his wisdom. So we should be a people who want for him more than anything else. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This, this simple passage screams at us today. Trust in the Lord with your entire being. Trust in Jesus with everything that shames you, everything that terrifies you, everything that holds you back. He will never fail anyone who trusts him completely. He's not half-hearted. He's a whole-hearted Savior. Especially in a world of, of, of um, a misplaced trust, broken promises, damaged lives. Only Jesus is unshakable, unchangeable, unbreakable, and worthy of all of our trust. This passage calls us to pursue wisdom. And the wisdom who calls out to us today is none other than God himself, Jesus Christ. How are you going to respond? Every week we remember his life. We remember the perfect trust and obedience he placed into his father. He trusted him wholeheartedly even to his death. And so today we have another opportunity to respond in faith to God's word. With that bread and that juice over there, we remember his body broken on the cross. We remember him made crooked, sacrificed so that the path for our salvation would be made straight. And now, because of his resurrection, he offers us new life. Do you know him today? Have you wholeheartedly put your trust in him? Because he can change your death to life. He can forgive your sins. Through Jesus, God offers us his healing, his wisdom. He offers his whole self to us on his terms, which is total and complete grace. And what he deserves and what he demands is our total trust. Do you know him? Have you put your trust in Jesus alone for your salvation? Have you leaned all your understanding on his sacrifice for your sins? Have you acknowledged him? Do you know him? Do you know that Jesus is the only way you can be saved today? The straight path for us here is Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Trust him today. Believe that God's son, Jesus Christ, was sent to die for our sins. That Jesus' death on the cross was a complete and um, atoning sacrifice. And his resurrection from the dead proves that God the Father was pleased with his sacrifice. We can place our full trust in Jesus for our salvation. We can trust him for wisdom in traversing this 
broken world. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, help us to know you today. Father, awaken our souls to desire you. Help us even to approach you now with reverence and awe and boldness and joyful expectation. Father, we come confessing that we are prone to lean on our own understanding of things. And in in our weakness, we forget to think of you, to ask for your help, or to remember just how foolish we really are. We ignore your commands. We ignore your instruction to us. We ignore your word. Father, forgive us for our half-hearted trust in you. Melt our hearts even right now. Give us greater faith to believe that Christ has made an end to all of our half-heartedness. Give us your Son's whole heart. A heart that trusted you fully in our place and worshipped you with perfect obedience. He didn't lean on his own understanding, but trusted in your wisdom and goodness, even as it led him to the cross. Thank you that his faithfulness is now ours. And his righteousness is our own. Holy Spirit, remind us of our weakness now. Lead us to repentance. Humble us and show us the foolishness of our best thoughts so that we will trust you instead of ourselves. Give us a desire now to love and obey you and strength to walk in growing obedience to your word. Thank you that we can ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Shelby Murphy, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.